I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast. Every Mum the Podcast was created for one reason, to get honest about parenthood, about the realities, the joys, the surprises and the fears, the moments that form us and the ones we don't hear people talk enough about, which is why we are so proud to partner with Water Wipes as our sponsor for this season, as they share this mission with us and are such an essential brand for every mum. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes containing just two ingredients, 99.9% water and just a drop of fruit extract, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and also the proud winners of three National Parenting Product Awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes. During the early days as a parent, everything is uncertain, but choosing the right wipes shouldn't be a worry. With no artificial fragrance, soap, silicones or colours, Water wipes are suitable for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. Together, we are committed to providing more reassurance for parents with trusted products and this podcast, helping us to all take those important steps towards greater confidence while building a community of support for every mum. It takes a village to raise a child. It's a proverb that we hear all of the time and that we know so well. But in this modern world where... For so many different reasons, we find ourselves leaving the village that we've always known, um, either for like great opportunity or just because we have to. How are we staying connected? Are we feeling physically isolated? And how are we kind of building this new village from scratch that's there to support us? So my experience was that I became a mother in the city that I've always grown up in, in the place that I have always found to know, and yet I still felt incredibly isolated. So how on earth does a woman do it when they find themselves in a completely different culture, in a completely different environment, when actually that village that's there or supposed to be there to help her raise her child isn't? Today, I'm joined with Simone, who you might know as Simone Scribes on Instagram. And she has just the most incredible tale, I suppose, to to her transition from woman to motherhood that I think for any woman who is not in her village right now or is looking to build one will learn so much from. Simone thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me I'm very excited to be here. So for anyone who doesn't really know your your background you um, lived in the Middle East for quite some time and actually that's where you became a mum. Where were you and what brought you out there in the first place? Well we Went overseas, we just moved back to Ireland two years ago, so we were overseas for about 10 years in total, which was a really long time. Um, I became pregnant with Charlie when we were living in Bahrain, which is this tiny little island beside Saudi. We'd been there almost two years exactly, and the plan was for me to have Charlie in Bahrain, and we were staying in Bahrain for a longer length of time, and everything was fine. And at this point, we'd been overseas for... About four, four and a half years. So we were well versed in the sort of expat lifestyle and, you know, we're very comfortable um, living. And you had friends and you had, you know. Yeah, we were very settled there. There's a big Irish community in Bahrain. You know, we knew everybody. They Mm. all knew us. Everybody knew I was pregnant. And so it was just a great sort of. Did they have children? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you felt like you're going to just walk into this kind of new club this new tribe totally. and be totally welcomed yeah like I had great advice on you know as soon as people found out I was pregnant what hospital to go to and got right. recommendations and so there was you know this vast amount of information right at my fingertips from people that I knew that I would see every day and and so it was great and, I and was very you'd young. seen them experience it so you were like they're fine yeah exactly I knew people that gone through it and you had you know first-hand reviews from people who'd gone to a specific hospital or a specific gynae and so 
I felt very, you know, I mean, I was very young. I was 27 when I felt pregnant with Charity. So I was prepared as much as I thought I could be. And so, but I was, you know, confident about it and it was, it was going well. Mm. Um, but then just as being an expat, uh, the way things are, you know, last minute, my husband was offered a job in a different Gulf country in Oman. And I was, I think I was almost exactly eight months pregnant at the time. So really close to D-Day. Really close. I was very large, I remember, at the time. And um, we had a conversation about it. And, you know, we were used to moving around. It wasn't a big thing. It was mm. quite exciting to be talking about moving to another country. And, and it was it a great opportunity? It was a great opportunity, yeah. And it was what my husband wanted to do. And I was at a phase where I was, you know, I was about to go on maternity leave from my work. And I was ready, you know, for this period to mm. just be a mom and stay at home with my baby. And so I figured, oh, you know... We could do it in Oman, in Muscat. It's a beautiful country, you know, very nice people. Just a great place that we'd been to before. And I figured, you know, why not? Let's do it. So, And I suppose in an expat life, even though you're there with your friends, you're used to people coming and going absolutely. quite a bit. Yeah. And so it's it's not a, a shocking thing. And, and everybody isn't, you know, people are sad when you talk about leaving, but there isn't this sort of shock and devastation and it's very transient, you know, people are going, coming and going all the time. And we knew people that had either lived there and moved to where we were or who were also moving there or moving somewhere else in the Gulf. So it was a very normal thing to happen. So we had a conversation about whether I would stay in Bahrain and have the baby and wait a couple of weeks and then go and join my husband in Muscat or whether I would just go now with mm. him because I'd had a pretty good pregnancy I was kind of uncomfortable at this point just because, you know, I was so big, but generally absolutely fine. I went and spoke to my gynecologist in Bahrain and she said, look, you've had a good pregnancy. Mm. Everything's fine. I have no concerns. But you have a small window of opportunity Very with small. the flying. Yes. So she said, you, you literally need to go mm. now. Mm. Um, so I had to get a letter for the airline. And I remember I actually flew on the last day that I was allowed to fly. And I, you know, I remember being on the <laughs> Talk plane. about pushing it. Wow. I people were looking at me because I was big, you know, I was really yeah. big. How long is the flight? My my I have, my geography isn't great. Of the I think it's, I can't even remember now, but it's like an hour. It's okay. short. Okay. So, um, or 40 minutes or something like that. It's not long at all. You literally go up and then you're and going you down, down and that's it. Um, so we packed up our life. We packed up our house. We... Mm put our car in the shipment because it was kind of last minute and we didn't really have time to sell it. And we just thought, you know, and we were moving to another Gulf country and lots of expats do that where you just move, you know, literally everything. So it's just easier because when you get to where you're going, everything comes out of the crate and then you're ready to go. So we shipped everything, we got everything ready. And I look back now and I think, you know, if I was somebody who really looked at signs or Mm. thought, hang on a minute, you know, like one of the first things that happened which wasn't related to the pregnancy, but we have two small dogs, um, Shih Tzus, and we got them in Bahrain. And of course, we were going to bring them with us to Oman. And they're your family they're at that family, point. Yeah. And they were my first babies. Yeah. And so we had them all ready to go. And it's a bit of a process moving animals within the GCC. Um, so we got to Muscat and we, you know, got to our place where we were staying. And it just kind of, over the, the first few days, it became apparent very quickly that it wasn't what we thought it would be. My husband was disappointed with the, you know, what he'd gone to do, the job, and it just wasn't turning out to, you know, what we expected. And 
uh, after a couple of days it kind of just got worse and I went and had a checkup um my first checkup in the hospital and met my gynecologist and again you know that made me panic a little bit the things weren't going fantastically well but I just thought well I'll go and do my tour and everything will be fine in the hospital and I'll go and check and I think I was on high alert anyway I mean I was because things weren't going the way we planned I was almost looking you know I just was kind of looking at everything negatively and thinking god this isn't going you know this isn't going how we thought and so I think a lot of women in that scenario you know even at home though are going to be playing out the worst case I mean there's we hear a lot of you know fears and and specifically around labor and birth and just the massive transition that's ahead and feeling like it's the most precious thing that'll happen for you Mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that everything is just exactly how you need it to be yeah because if it goes wrong the costs are so high yeah exactly um yeah I mean I had a idea I suppose in my head of what I thought that stage of my pregnancy would look like and you know obviously we were in a new different you know new country and that was different anyway but it just you know quickly started to go downhill and I think one of the last um, nails in the coffin I suppose was I went for a checkup with the gynecologist and she said you need to go to the government clinic and get you know this paper all these women need to go when you have to have your baby and everything and I said fine and she said you have to have a tetanus shot before you give birth it's mandatory here you have to do it and I said well I don't want to you know I don't Mm. I don't need to have it she says you have to do it it's the rule and she also told me that because we were on tourist visas when we first arrived still like usually the visas take some time to process and she said if you give birth on a tourist visa we will not issue you with a birth certificate for your child until you can present your residency visa and when that's terrifying yeah and that set off alarm bells because things weren't going great with the company and my husband wasn't particularly happy and we kind of had got the impression that the visas were a long way off if they would ever materialize and I remember going home and saying to my husband oh my god what are we going to do like if I can't so no visa, no birth cert. Yeah, yeah, and can't get a passport if you don't have a birth cert. So, so you feeling trapped at this point? Are you feeling totally, like yeah. everything is closing in on yeah, you? Yeah, I mean, even talking about it now, I can feel my heart beating a bit faster because it was so stressful. And I just remember thinking, right, I'm going to call the Irish embassy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Oman was under the embassy in Riyadh. I called them and they said, okay, look, why don't you call the UAE embassy? Um you know, because it's probably best that you go there. Okay. So I called the UAE embassy and I remember speaking to this amazing lady called Caroline. <laughs> I always remember her name. And she said, I must have been hyperventilating a little bit on the wow. phone. And she said to me, uh, Simone, you know, I think it's best if at all possible you just come to the UAE if you can. And you can come here and you can have your baby and there's no problem. And if there's no birth cert issued she said which I can't ever imagine what happened here and we've never heard of this before we can get the passport for the baby anyway everything is fine so there's hope and it was just you know a a long list of things that were going wrong and this was kind of the end it was just the impetus for us to go okay are we going to stay are we going to go what are we going to do and so my husband came home from work and we had this conversation and he was like right we have to go we're going to go are we going to go and I'm like yes we're going to go so how many so this was still within your last month of pregnancy so yeah so we'd been in Oman at this point about two two and a half weeks so you've got two weeks till your till your due date more or less yeah 
yeah. you're now moving country now we decided again. to go yeah we decided to go so we but you can't fly no i can't fly <laughs> <laughs> so how does one migrate across the desert so the only way um to go when you can't fly obviously is to drive so, okay so we decided we would drive from Muscat to dubai which takes about five and a half hours in, total. in august heat in august during ramadan um so yeah, I have a Thelma and Louise image. I know in my head of you, <laughs> of you just trying to get into UAE before you go into labour. Yeah, I know, and and we had our dogs with us at that point. We'd managed to get them over. Good, I was I was getting a bit worried as to where they were. So we managed to get them over, but then we realised the problem with leaving is that Oman is not a rabies-free country, and so the UAE would not accept them unless they'd been in quarantine for two weeks. Okay. So we had to leave them behind in Muscat. And so honest to God, it was like, it was just another thing. It sounds just like there's just, you're bombarded with, this is chaos. It was. I mean, I remember going to the kennels. It was actually an Irish lady who owned the kennels. And I mean, I just remember she looked at me, just looking at, looking at me like, Where, what are you doing? I'm like, look, it's a long story. Yeah, yeah, basically yeah. we're leaving. And were we're you in survival away. mode at that point then? Totally, yeah. I mean, I even remember when we dropped the dogs off, like my husband got very upset and I was upset, but I did not cry. I was like, this yeah, is yeah. just another thing we have to do in order for us to get there. Yeah. You were in suppression to, of none totally. of this is real. We are focusing what we need to get done. Yeah. Let's just go do it. I had messaged my friend Louise, who was living in Dubai, but was not there at the time. She was back in the UK for the summer and... I messaged her and said, I'm coming to Dubai. <laughs> and I remember she messaged me back and said, this one's a bit late for a holiday. Like, you know, you're, aren't you about to give birth? I was like, no, Louise, this is, you know, we're moving, we're coming. And, and oh my God, she was brilliant. She just jumped into, you know, same as me, survival mode. She was like, right, just go to the house. You can stay in the house. You know, I'll get you the details of the gynecologist. So she wasn't there at the time? No, no, she wasn't there at the time. So their house was empty. So she was like, you can come and stay here. I'll get my friend to leave a key out for you. She'd had a baby six months previous. Okay. She was like, all the baby stuff is in the house. Because of course we didn't have anything either. All our stuff was still on a boat being shipped to Oman. It hadn't even arrived yet and we were leaving. So when every other expectant mother is there having washed and packed their hospital bag to yeah. within an inch of its life and yeah. then unpacked it and repacked it and... Yeah. You don't have anything. No, we you don't nothing. have anything with you. No, absolutely nothing. Just had our suitcase with our own stuff in it, and because everything else was in the shipment, baby seat, the car seat, the Moses basket, all the beautiful clothes I'd bought. Like we had. Did nothing. that even matter at that point? No, I didn't. Because I it was so care. far down no. the list of priorities. I didn't care. I was like, we'll just buy whatever we need. It's fine. Yeah, and just Louise get me was there. Like we have everything. We have everything in the house. Like there's literally everything. There's nappies. There's wipes. There's newborn baby clothes. There's everything. Just. Use it. But I did, I mean, I wasn't even thinking straight. I was just like, yeah, yeah, cool, whatever. Okay, great, yeah. thanks. And so... And every day were you like, don't go into labour today? Not, yeah, like not I, today. Yeah, I mean, there was, it's funny now, like there was jokes, you know, my husband on the on the drive to Dubai was like, don't go into labour, babe. And I'm like, I won't, you know, like literally like... <laughs> I won't, I but don't. actually might. And my uncle texted me and he's like, all you need now is... Um, three wise men in a manger literally driving through the desert you know it was wow it was crazy so we we left yeah we packed up all our stuff and we left and we checked the dogs into the kennels and we drove to Dubai and I didn't uh, give birth on the way and we got to Louise's house and um, we arrived and I think literally the day after we arrived I was in with Louise's gynecologist to see her and 
I handed her my file for all my stuff and <laughs> she was just like, okay, so hi, nice to meet you. And so basically next week you're giving birth and great, you know, and I mean, that was one fantastic, one of the many fantastic things about Dubai and, and the healthcare is that they were just open arms, willing to accept you in, no problem. I mean, imagine there was a waiting list. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't have time. No, nothing like that. We had really good um, insurance and it was fantastic. And so it was, she was great. And, you know, she didn't give many hassle or give out to me or anything. <laughs> We're like landing on her doorstep, you know, basically 11 days or something before I had charity. It was just madness. So now that you're feeling a bit more relieved, you've got a, you know, you've got a base. Yes. Um, You've got your gynae. You've, you're in a country that you feel comfortable and safe in. Yes. Did you start to unwind did you start to did the survival mode relinquish did you start feeling like no now it's time to think of I would say motherhood I think I just kind of held myself in a vice okay um is how I would describe it we just kind of were trying to go through the motions and just I I mean I do remember thinking god am I like am I stressed is my body stressed is this stressing the baby so I was trying to be very even keel about it all and my mum called me a couple of days before I had Charlie because she was supposed to come out and she had broken her foot and she called me to tell me that she couldn't come out and I remember sitting on the couch and just thinking okay that's fine mom no problem and she was like crying yeah, know, yeah I'm yeah. so sorry and everything and then she was looking at me because we were on Skype you know and I was like it's fine so you were just fine. numb no problem to like, any yeah, problem just right getting now through it like and and I to be honest I wasn't even aware that I was just getting through it at the time I hadn't of course no thoughts really I was just going through motions and trying to get to the day when I had the baby and would the baby be okay mm. and um so that day did come that day did come, yes. Uh, Charlie was overdue, <laughs> thank <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> we had a few extra days. So I had to be induced and I had Charlie in American Hospital in Dubai, which was great. I had two fantastic midwives throughout the process. One was Australian, one was English, and they did everything for me. They were absolutely brilliant, held my hand, and it was great. So I was induced and I stayed overnight and... I think I was 22 and a half hour labor, mm. something like that in the end. And I remember at one point, like, we just, we weren't getting anywhere. And they were like, if this keeps going on, you're going to have to have a C-section because he yeah. just will not come out. He won't move. And then as is the case with lots of women, it just, all of a sudden he decided, okay, <laughs> I'm coming yeah, now. It's happening. Um, So I had him and it was, it was difficult, you know, it was, you know, I think you, you read about giving birth and. I'd read what to expect when you're expecting, like everybody else. And it was hard, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard graft <laughs> trying to have mm-hmm. a baby. Mm-hmm. And at the at the end, I just couldn't push anymore. And he was a big baby. He was eight pounds, seven. And they gave me an episiotomy. There was kind of no time to have a discussion about it. Yeah, because it we were had at to happen. crunch point. And he came out and he was fine. And I remember they handed him to me and they put him on my chest. And he obviously was like a little bit blue and he had the little kind of white bits on him and mm-hmm. I was just looking at him and the nurses were like oh he's there he is you know and your baby I was like is he okay they're like yeah he's fine I was like okay great you can you can take him now and just weigh him he's okay though and they're like yeah he's he's fine Simone I'm like okay just take him just so you're still numb no absolutely no it's awful now I get upset when I think about it I had no feelings nothing just 
thank God that's over. Mm-hmm. My husband was upset, of course, like upset, happy, you know, because the baby was here. And I just remember thinking, okay, we did it. Like he's here. Great. Here. We got to the end. Um, and it then sounds like he was the, like, yeah, the final chapter of what was a really tough month. It and was, you were holding yourself together just to get to that moment. Yeah. And the last 23, 22 hours, it's it's so hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, it's brutal anyway. It doesn't matter. And and that, like, no no amount of a village or a community no. or your parents, nothing nothing will help you in that no. place. You just have to get through it by yourself. You have to just trust your body. And it is amazing, though. I mean, it was I was so young, and I really didn't have much of a clue. And it's amazing that your body just does what it's supposed to do, and you are just there, you know, kind of witnessing it happen to you. And... Um, but you were so, as you said, in a vice-like grip. Yeah, you, totally. And when that happens, you can't feel the bad emotions, but it also means you can't let the good emotions through. No. So it was very much, it was like a military exercise, you know, just having him. Just be a, fine. F- a function. Fine, great. You can take him now. And then they were like, okay, so it went fine. And now we're going to move you down to the maternity ward. So I had him in the delivery ward and then once you're kind of okay and the delivery went fine, everyone's okay, then they move you down to the maternity ward. So I remember getting off the bed and they lifted me into a wheelchair and I remember looking at the bed and thinking, my God, like has somebody just been murdered? Like it was, it was horrific, absolutely horrific. And then I decked a few hours later, my gynecologist came to see me and she said, you've lost a lot of blood and your iron okay. is really low. Like it's really low, Simone, it's gone way down. And you know, a lot of women anyway, struggle with iron levels throughout pregnancy. Sure. Yeah. And I'd been on these ridiculous, the huge iron tablets, but you know, they, you know, they only do really a tiny amount. And it's true. So and, but losing that amount of blood. Yeah. You know, it's going to be so it's, you've now suffered a physical trauma yeah. on top of the emotional trauma that yeah. you were carrying. And I knew I was on the line just before, I had him because the anesthesiologist came in and of course they check your iron levels and he said you are literally at the minimum that I will agree to give you um, an epidural because if you were lower than this we can't you, you wouldn't have enough blood circulated or however it works I don't even know so I knew there was possibility that I would obviously plummet a little bit after yes. having him and I did <laughs> and okay. so the um, gynae said to me you have the option to have a blood transfusion um, or you can go on an iron drip, but you will have to stay in hospital for about five days because it takes that long. And I was very nervous about having a blood transfusion. So I just said, OK, I'll go on the drip. And okay. so I was in hospital with Charlie for five days. Um, and so we had that issue. And then obviously having an episiotomy was pretty brutal as well. And Did you feel at the time that that bad. was the best place because at least you were being surrounded by reassuring care? You weren't being sent out into the wild now to just fend for yourself yeah. that you were being... I mean, I had really good care. Um, it was fantastic. And they have this brilliant system. I remember telling my friends at home that every evening they come and take the baby. They come and take the baby away so that you can get sleep and they bring the baby to the baby room and they look after the baby. And if the baby needs a feed or whatever, they will bring him or her back. But their goal is so that the mum can sleep and recuperate. Oh God, it was fantastic. I was like, this is great. You know, I don't want to leave hospital. So, um, yeah, so we stayed five days. It was great. I mean, we great care. I know at one point, um, my husband was a bit upset because he came in one day from work and 
there was a room across the hallway from us. Obviously, they'd just had a baby. Mm. And so there was balloons everywhere and there was family in and out of the room. And he came in and he was upset. You know, he's like, God, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Like, we had nobody. We didn't know anybody. We had no one there. No there parents, was no joy. No family. There was nothing. And, and, and I remember thinking, yeah, you're right. Like, this is sad. But equally... I was just such a mess physically after the birth. I didn't want to see anything. You didn't want, you didn't have the energy for people. You know, my body was just absolutely blitzed. And I just thought, I don't know how people do see people. I think that's true of a lot of women, but they don't always have the courage to say, actually, give me space. Yeah. You know, I don't agree. I don't want to be paraded in front of friends and family. Look what I've just gone through. It wouldn't happen if you'd just gone through surgery. No, 100%. You know, nobody would arrive in expecting you to entertain them yeah I totally agree um so, so you did go home so you, well sorry you did go to your friend's <laughs> yeah, to your friend's house. house yeah and when did you when did the vice like grip when did it oh calm down not for a long time to be honest when I look back um you know my husband started a new job I think it was the day before Charlie was born and so he left the job when I went into labor and came in and he was there for the evening and then the next day he was there for a couple of hours but he had to go back to work I mean we were you know dependent on that and in the meantime of having Charlie our shipment had arrived in Dubai from Oman but we had no visas yet so they won't release it so it just sits in the port accruing charges until you can pay for it and show your visa so we you know we needed this job process to sort of carry on and so so you had to just accept you're going to be on your own now totally yeah and so I was in Louise's house and you know thank god for Louise like really when I think back you know Louise will be in my life forever like I am never letting her go the things that she did for us and everything amazing isn't it sometimes people that you don't always expect they play such a big part out of nowhere yeah you realize then why you met them, yeah, <laughs> why totally. they were here. And I mean, you know, I'm sure she's aware of, of I've said it enough times here, <laughs> but I'm sure she's aware of like what a great thing she did for us. And, but I don't think she really, really gets it because mm. it was just so horrific for me, you know, not to have family or friends or any of my stuff and to be a new mum and be alone, basically. Sorry. Not at all. It's it's um, completely normal because I can't imagine it. I I as I said, I became a mum in Dublin. I grew up here. My family was here, and even I went home feeling like I'm so isolated. Yeah. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. To hear your story of the, it, I can only assume it was it's, it's a certain amount of post traumatic stress yeah. over it all, and. It's so important to know and and to to share this because I can I, I assume there's going to be so many women who are in this experience where they're not what what's happening is not what they expected. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think you know we are conditioned to believe that motherhood looks a certain way and that becoming a mother looks a certain way or that it should look a certain way. I mean, there's there's real kind of pressure associated to what it should look like and Mm. what a good pregnancy is. And what it should feel like. And what it should feel like and how you should feel and where you should be and the the part that your family should play and all these boxes that need to be ticked. And when you're in a situation where absolutely none of those things is happening 
And on top of that, you are in a lot of pain and you're dealing with a newborn. And really, I mean, like most new mums, I had, didn't have a lot of experience with newborn mm. babies <laughs> ever. And so I was dealing with that. There was a lot of Googling going on and a mm. lot of Skyping to Louise in particular. And, you know, I remember one evening uh, I had stitches from the episiotomy. And so I had to have, the, you know, these sit spats every evening. Mm. And I remember Adrian came in and put the laptop on the toilet and I and Louise was on Skype to me and I was just crying and crying and crying from the bath. <laughs> I just didn't care at this point, you know. I was just in so much pain and, you know. Thank God for Skype. Thank God for Skype. Honestly, I spoke to everybody I knew every day, like Louise and my mum and, you know, we, we, it was just, I don't know, like, um, but my husband was fantastic. I mean, he... I don't know, you you both just go into this automatic mode where you just seem to know what to do. And and I don't even know how he did it when I look back because, you know, he had all the pressure of a new job and the new country and trying to settle in. And of course, it didn't look like he thought it was going to look like either. And then he comes home from work and he's trying to help me mm. and make things better for me and take the baby so that I can go and shower or do whatever it is I need to do and so he was under enormous stress as well and it was just did either of you show each other the stress or did you pretend I've got this I I'm think, okay yeah I think we we did in in small ways but we were both very aware of each other mm. and sort of propping each other up and pushing the other one on and you know eventually I mean, it took a couple of months. So like Louise and her family came back and we had this hilarious couple of weeks where we all lived together. We still joke about it now that it's our dream one day <laughs> to go back to that. You know, we had such a good time. Like it was babies and dogs and adults and babysitters on tap. We'd go out one night. They'd oh, go, you know, it was lovely. fantastic. We'd agree. that's the village. That's and what I mean. That was the village. That's, that's the difference between being so on your own. Yeah. And so that, I mean, when they came back, you know, after the summer, it, that's when things I suppose started to change and there was another friend actually that I'd made in Bahrain you know a long time ago and uh, when we were living there and she was in Dubai and she came to visit me and she was a photographer and she wanted to take newborn baby pictures of Charlie and she came to see me and I remember she had said to me you know how was the birth and how did it go and I kind of briefly told her like no major details she turned up at the house with one of those pillows oh, yeah. for you to sit on when you've had an episiotomy. Yeah. And I had, I was like, what the hell is that? Like, yeah, I'd never yeah, seen yeah. it before. And she's like, Simone, trust me, she'd <gasps> had three kids. And I just cried when I sat on it <laughs> because yeah. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> and the fact that she thought of that and, and I think that's when things started to shift, you know, like. You don't even know what you need. No, you've no idea. You really don't. So it's only when somebody comes to you going, else you it. need this. And you're like, thank you for telling me that this was even in the world. Yeah. I know. And that's why I think we don't know, we don't ask for help because often we don't know what to ask for. No, no, really, that's so true because you're just, you know, and I think you're so focused when you've a newborn on their routine, them eating, them sleeping. I was really obsessed with the temperature of the air conditioning in the house yeah, because yeah. it was so hot. And so I would move him to room to room, you know, from room to room in his Moses basket and I would be obsessed with the AC. Was it too cold? Was it too hot? And so... I was so focused on Charlie and him eating, sleeping, changing him. Why is he crying now? What's this for? That you kind of forget about yourself anyway. Yeah. You know, and then we were in this insane situation, you know, that was 
not how we thought it would look on top of that. But I think I kind of was just blocking all that out. <laughs> you talked about Skype and I suppose you're, you know, you've built a digital village yeah. for yourself. Is that when that became a bigger part of your life? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I had been very active online anyway in the in the previous couple of years I mean I met Louise through Twitter years before that's how we had become friends Twitter was the big thing Mm -hmm. at the time and uh, I had a beauty blog that I'd had going for years and so I'd met lots of people you know in this online community that I'd built up and you know that was one thing that kind of kept me going I suppose because people were you know you're invested in people that you engage with online that you follow online and so people were sending me messages like really concerned like where was I and why was I in Dubai and then when they found out what had happened you know they just you know and I remember getting messages from people like my aunt is visiting in two weeks and like if you need anything and it was amazing you know I had this uh, kind of this also instant support in a totally different way yeah online particularly from women that I'd never met who were just I suppose shocked and appalled (laughs) by how things had ended up and and they were trying to help and so that gave me a lot of comfort I think really that stopped me from hitting rock bottom of course it did you know and I think that we're so blessed as a as a generation of women that actually even if we are feeling quite physically isolated from the village that we expected or just from anybody just from feeling like somebody's here to help me yeah um we have this digital support yeah from real people like they are it's genuine care yeah um but they're not physically present in your life um I think we are blessed that actually it is there and and I know that there is there is a double-edged sword to that Mm -hmm. um there can be a lot of criticism. There's a lot of self-comparison. Yeah. Um, and a lot of, you know, we curate, I suppose, as opposed to somebody like Louise living with you, mm-hmm. seeing the roller coaster, seeing yeah. actually you're having a really terrible day. Yeah. <laughs> to you putting up one picture that shows today's great. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. As like, you know, you're in that world quite a bit now. Um what is your experience of that? Like, and do you think that it has added or do you think that it has meant that actually we've broken down physical connections? I don't know. I think it's a double-edged sword, to be honest, social media, especially in the parenting sphere. I think on one hand, people do feel the pressure to paint a glossy picture of parenting and that you have, like you said, had a great day or that your kids are great or mm. whatever it is. I've got it nailed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And I think, so that the woman in particular feels the pressure to paint that picture, but then the women who are consuming that content feel the pressure that to their live life up to doesn't it. look like that picture. And so that's one side of it. And then the other side I, that I've experienced more, I would say, since we've come back to Ireland, is that women are rewarded for... I suppose realness is what they say here. You know, I like following this mum because she's real you know but you women should just be real anyway like it's mm. it's it's hard being a mum anyway but do you think that's a counter to the amount of the amount of fake life that's being posted about yeah definitely i think it balances it out for sure but i think there doesn't seem to be a big happy medium it, it seems to be either glossy 
everything's so great. Or really exposing yourself. Or really exposing yourself. And, you know, I, I don't have particularly strong feelings about either. I think you do you and that's what it's about. But there's nothing wrong with just kind of pulling up a pew in the middle there and sort of yeah. sharing a little bit when you want to or when you feel like it and also showing the good stuff when you feel like yeah. it. And not overthinking it as much. And Using it for what it. it is there to do, which yeah. was ultimately just to connect people. I mean, one thing I've learned, I think, from being online and being overseas and having Charlie overseas and, you know, my friends who are mums and everything is it doesn't matter what your situation or where you're from or where you live or where you've had your baby or how big your village is or whether you have no village. Being a mum is incredibly difficult for everybody. There's no exceptions. Nobody is has it easier than you, you know, there is a level that is difficult for all of us. And I think women kind of, you know, we do a disservice to each other when we say, oh no, it's so easy. Or, oh, my kid wasn't like that. Or my birth wasn't like that. Or you should do it this way. You should do it this way. Or advice on how they did it with their kid. Or, you know, it's, it's hard enough as it is. I just think we need to be more understanding of every everyone who has kids and other women I think we just need to approach each other with an open heart and open mind and not judge you know it's hard enough as it is so and to maybe take some of the the amount of relationships that are made in this digital world and bring them back into the real world yeah like physical connection is so important yeah having somebody to actually sit down with and talk to because you can't curate you can't put up the mask for that long yeah you have to actually just show if you're struggling and 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 feel and just actually just laugh too yeah and I know that you know recently as you said you've moved back to Ireland yeah and in a sense you're back trying to find this new village again yeah and unlike some women who have their babies here and then join you know the the baby massage classes or the breastfeeding support groups or meet women who are in that same boat because Charlie is he's seven six and a half six now. and a half yeah. now um you've been helicoptered back down into this world where you have to try and navigate it as a real life human not the digital version but yeah. the real life human yeah. and I saw an Instagram post that you put up recently about just being you know a mum watching your son play football yeah and feeling like oh feeling like I was back in school again you know not knowing anybody just standing there thinking oh my god you know how did this happen another moment of you know what the hell am I doing this isn't what it's supposed to look like when your kid is this age when you've been a mum for x amount of years or whatever so that's been a whole other process us coming back um, and I imagine some people would assume you know seeing how how many people want to be your social friend. Yeah. That actually in the real world, you still feel quite alone. Yeah. Oh yeah. We perceive this, these ticks, these numbers, these likes as genuinely meaningful. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, you're like, I just want somebody to stand beside me. Yeah. And I think it's a bit of a paradox because it's almost like the bigger the following or the more people that follow you, the more you realize that you don't have that significant amount of real life connections so people more people than ever know you online but 
the least amount I would say now in my current uh, stage of life with us being back home and everything, the least amount of people know me in real life. Mm. You know, it's it's a really weird parallel, you know, between my online and my real life. It's a strange one. You know, in, in many ways, the community online at home has been incredible for information, for resources, for you know, people telling you where you can get stuff and do stuff and recommendations and it's really second to none. I mean, it's yeah. fantastic um, for that. But on the other hand, it, it, you know, it rarely goes offline. You know, it's hard to meet people. And, and also I think, I still think there's a little bit of awkwardness with, you know, knowing somebody online or not liking somebody online, let's say another mum. It's just bizarre to me to, to message them and say, Oh, do you want to meet for coffee? Yeah. You know, it's like a line that you just don't cross. You yeah, know, it's a yeah, bit yeah. Weird, and so it's like dating. It is. It really it's is like dating. It's bizarre. It's uh, I don't know putting yourself out there and being rejected, but yet we constantly interact with want of what a word strangers. Yeah, completely. And through we our phones. chat away every day about different things, or people will message me about stuff, and I might message somebody else, and and that's very free and easy and natural to do and then yet in the real world you know I'm standing on the sidelines of a football pitch thinking oh my god you know will I go over and speak to somebody no no they're in a group over there you know so in a way I think and this is the other side of the sword that we talked about that social media in a way makes you a little bit antisocial a little bit maybe more awkward than you were or that you used to be we don't have to say hello because we can all just jump into our phones yeah totally so it's, it's an interesting one to kind of navigate. And the positive of that is you posted about it and loads of people got in touch saying, oh, I yeah. feel like that. I feel like that. I'm so glad I'm not alone to feel like that. I was kind of blown away by that, to be honest. Like I knew there would be some women, of course, who were in the same boat, but it was huge. I mean, the amount of messages I got from women who, and it was all scenarios women who had moved continents or they had moved countries they had moved counties within Ireland and they were literally out on a limb knew nobody didn't know where they were going what they were doing they'd met no one and they'd never felt so alone you know even though they're in their home country as such and, yeah. and that's the case for me I mean I'm not from Dublin but I'm living here and, you know, we're slowly finding our way around. But this is, I mean, you know, the joke we always used to make when we came home was my husband said, you know, we should have just moved to Canada. Like, it's basically what we've done here. Mm. People keep saying, oh, you're back home, but we're not really. Mm. We're back in Ireland, but we're not at home. Not you where know. you actually grew up. No, we're not near family or friends or, you know, we're starting again in a new city that, okay, we've been to a couple of times, <laughs> but it's still a new city. So it's about find and like I mean another thing we need to find balance for if it's not work life it now is relationships we need to find yeah. a balance between using what digital has given us yeah. to be able to make as you said you wouldn't have had Louise if you didn't have Twitter yeah hundred percent like so it plays a part we do need it it's so amazing at two a.m. when you're awake and yeah. feeling like somebody's there I as know. well I know and you know, reaching out and saying, I need help with this. Does anybody else have an answer to that? Like, yeah. that's phenomenal. But maybe we also need to just pick up the phone and say, do you want to go for a walk? Do you yeah. want to meet? Do you want to go for a glass of wine? Yeah. Do you want to And the amazing thing be is, my friend? There are so many of us. There are so many of us in that boat. Like when I did that post and I had the messages from other ladies, it, you know, a lot of the messages said, 
I'm so glad you spoke about this. I'm yeah. so glad you said this because this is how I feel or I could have written this. This is me like you're me, you know, and I thought, my God, like, the, you know, we just need to step out of our comfort zones, you know, and it's I need to take my own advice <laughs> when I say mm-hmm. that because I find it incredibly difficult to do that, yeah. to, to put myself out there, as people say, you know, I'm allergic to putting myself yeah. out there. It's it's because you don't want to find out actually that people don't like you. Yeah, but when you do, you know, ninety nine percent of the time, good things happen. They really do. I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. So, and I think it's important to also add that it isn't just about geography. It isn't just about if you've moved. You know, um, I think since becoming a mother myself, I am. I've absolutely experienced the loneliest moments. Yeah. I definitely have the least amount of friends that I've ever probably had. Um, and like that, I probably have the most amount of interactions yeah. in my day. Yeah. But the least amount of people who I know I can call on if I need them. Yeah. Um, it's very unique. I think mm. being a mum is very isolating for anybody. Like no matter, like you said, if you're in your hometown with family and friends around you or if you're in a foreign country, I think it's something that certainly isn't spoken about that much. That, you know, I was definitely not prepared to feel completely isolated as a mum or you, you know, in your hometown. Yeah. Like it's it's just not something that people really say. And I think, you know, we need to talk about that more. You know, we need, this, we need to say like, this is going to be really rough. It's going to be brutal. You know, you'll have your mom down the street or your friends, but you're still going to feel really alone. And that's okay. And just talk about it. Get out of your phone. And if you see somebody on the bench beside you, just talk to them. Yeah. And it's, you know, it never ends either. It's not just a newborn thing. No. It's forever. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what I love about your story. You've got a six and a half year old. Yeah. You know, still in the space. <laughs> somebody else would be like, she's totally got it sorted by no, now. It go, it's forever. It goes on and on. As long as you're a mom, you know, you will have this forever. You know, and you go through different phases with your kid and your family. You move, you go here and there. And it, it's, it's something that is with you all the time. You know, we all need other women. We all need communities and villages. It doesn't matter if the village is one person or 20 people. We all need people, you know, and sometimes we need them even when we really think that we don't. It's probably when we need them the most. Yeah. I mean, I, I know in my case that was the truth in Dubai. Like, I definitely needed people. But at the time, I just thought, no, everything's fine. I'm getting off this. It's fine. And it wasn't. It wasn't fine. <laughs> well, let's hope we remember that the next time something isn't fine. Yeah. And we do actually try and find a physical person or a digital person yeah. to to help Reach us through to. yeah Simone thank you so much for joining us today thank on every mom the podcast it's been emotional <laughs> it has been emotional but that's 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 what's brilliant about it yeah and I really thank you for sharing your experiences and I hope have has motivated um women who are feeling lonely to actually to find a connection that they need yeah thank you thank you Thank you for listening to Every Mum, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying our series and would love to hear your feedback. If listening on iTunes, leave a review for us and subscribe. You can share this episode on social and tag Every Mum or join us on everymum.ie. This series is kindly supported by Water Wipes. Water Wipes are an essential for Every Mum from that first nappy change and during those messy weaning months. 
As creators of the world's purest baby wipes, Water Wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and are proud sponsors of Every Mum, the podcast. <laughs>